0: Um, welcome this morning. Glad you could be with us. I do want to reiterate, this has been a really strange season, right? We've been really disconnected. We've, we've, we have this new cultural term that I detest, social distancing, um, right? That's such not a kingdom word, like stay apart from each other. Can't stand it. But, right, we're, we're doing that. And so I just want to reiterate, man, some of us have had really hard times, right, in quarantine, in isolation. So man, if, you, if you're not doing well and you, you need someone to talk to, uh, you know, you having some discussions you need to have, like, please reach out to us. Uh, many, many of us, myself included, have been in need of some soul care and some conversation. So we can set that up in, in multiple formats. We can meet with some, some significant space in between us we Can do some Zoom meetings. But just please reach out to us. Go to the website. Uh, fill out a Connect card, which just can just say, hey, could you pray with me or I have some questions or whatever it may be. So please, I know it's a weird time to try and get connected, but some, some of y'all need to be connected. I've had some hard conversations the last couple of weeks, so please, please reach out. So, all right, so I haven't been really doing kind of intro questions, but I have one for us today, and, and so here, here's, you know, John's been kind of explaining kind of how the life of God works, and so here's my question for it. What characteristics do you share with your parents? What characteristics do you share with your parents? Now, some of you, now, I'm one of five, right, so... so. Um, when you have siblings, sometimes it's really easy to see because you look at your, your brother or your sister. For some of you, maybe if you're an only child, maybe it's an aunt or, or an uncle, and you'll see them say something or do something, and all you can see or hear is your dad or your mom, right? And you're going like, oh, my goodness, you, you are turning as my sister right here. Like, you know, she'll say something, and I'm like, you look just like mom when you say that. And then she's like, oh, don't say that. Don't say I look just like mom. People say it to me like they call me my dad's name now. So what characteristics do you share with your parents? And really this goes back even to last week, right, where, where John is talking about if God is whatever he is, and last week was if God is love and we are born of God, then what does that mean of us? And John is continuing in that today when we, when we jump into chapter 5. But let me pray for us. Let me pray for us, because again, we, um, we, we often uh, will domesticate God, we often will make him something other than he is, and we will often make his words smaller in our own minds and imagination. So I'm going to pray that God will circumvent our, our kind of natural, I don't mean that in a good way, natural ability to do that, and that he will actually enliven these pictures and these words for us from John chapter 5, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 5. So join me as, as we pray before we dive into the word of God. Heavenly Father, we, um, yeah, we, we cry out to you as Father, uh, as, as those who come from you, and so we, um, we need you to work in us this morning, Lord, um, unsettled what is settled, and, and, and help us grow in the things we need to grow and change in, and those things which are firm and solid in us, would you even strengthen them more, would they become more foundational, more beautiful, and more lovely in our imaginations, in our hearts, in our minds, uh, Lord... Uh, would would your word come alive to us by your Spirit by your power? We pray, in Jesus name, Amen. So we are in First John chapter five. We only have a few more weeks, just to give you a little little, uh, little preview of what's coming. A few more weeks in in First John, uh, we will wrap up. I think on the nineteenth ish. I think we have this sermon and then two more, if I'm not mistaken. And then we will wrap up Romans. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. We will finish Romans. That's happening. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's clapworthy. yes. Neil and I have too much vested in this series, right, for it to, to, not, to not to finish. So we will finish Romans, and then we're going to do a, a short mini-series before we dive into a major prophet, which we're thinking either Jeremiah or Isaiah, some, some discussion about that. We're going to do a short series on uh, race, the gospel, and justice. And so we're still working on our title for that, but we're going to spend some time there because of, uh, of all that's happening in our country. We want, we want to be faithful uh, representatives in the gospel of, in our time. And so we want to wrestle through that well, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I'm wrestling through that well. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to talk about it. I'm not sure what words I can say, not say, and so we want to make sure that we can love our neighbors and our communities and our, in our context well. So just a little preview for what's coming. So we are in 1 John 5. We're only going to spend uh, today verses 1 through 5, so read with me 1 John 5, starting in verse 1. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, this is a word of the Lord for us this morning, and really John keeps revisiting the same idea, which is really helpful for us. Because remember, we are not a people who simply believe some ideas or simply just uh, come to meetings or we're some sort of institution. We are actually people who have fundamentally been changed in our nature through our encounter with Jesus Christ. And this is what what John in his gospel made really clear and and was obvious in chapter 3 when he's talking with Nicodemus. Now I say he made it clear, Nicodemus, who's hearing this for the first time, And some of us who've grown up in the church, we hear this language, born again, or born of God, and we think, oh yeah, yeah. But picture yourself, you've never heard the teaching of Jesus, and someone says to you, you must be born again. Well, if if you were new to hearing that, you'd think, what on earth are you talking about? Which is exactly what Nicodemus does in John 3, where he goes, how can I, a grown man, Go back into my mother's womb. It's a strange picture. To be born again. And so I just, I, I, John is continually wanting us to recapture and remember what this means. This is not mere metaphor. This is not just poetic language. There's something fundamentally that changes about the believer when they have an encounter through faith with Jesus. We are not just a people who wear T-shirts. We are a people who have a new nature, born again. By the work of Jesus. Look at verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now that language again. I think about words that we just kind of brush right past. I don't know that there's one more. Even you know, we talked about love uh, for the last couple of weeks. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. But this word, the Christ. Look at how, what it says. It doesn't even just say Jesus Christ. It says that Jesus is the Christ. So this word Christ is the is the is the Greek term that they use for the word Messiah, Mashiach, from, from the Hebrew. Nice little guttural Mashiach. Yeah, you, that's why you guys are distant because I you know I will I will get my bacteria on you when I say Mashiach. Yeah, I'm adding an extra in there. But when you do Hebrew, there's lots of that going on when you take your Hebrew classes. But, but the Messiah, he's the anointed, and you go back and you look at the history of this, and really uh, the, one of the, the kind of strongest uh, clusters of this word is, is, in, the, is in the Davidic literature, in, the, in, in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, talking about J, uh, David, the anointed of God. Right, the one that God has come and put His His mark upon, the one that He has come and put His 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 insignia, His 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 smearing, His anointing, laying on of hands, all that you can imagine that's there. He puts His authority and anoints David. And Second Samuel seven is kind of the penultimate picture of this, where He gives the promise to David that there will be a forever king, an anointed one on the throne. And I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. And so what he's saying is, is that when we, when we claim faith in Jesus, when we, when we see Jesus, we need to understand he is the promised of God to provide for us provision, deliverance, and rescue. He is this Messiah. He is not simply one that we admire. He's not simply one that we revere. He's not simply one that we like. He's not simply one that we follow. He is all of those things and more. He is the chosen of God, the sent of God, the ambassador, the representative, the sacrifice that through him alone do we encounter the living God? And when we believe upon Christ, the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, something fundamentally changes. Now hear me, church, this is not new to us necessarily. When we hear this, but what happens is we forget what it means that we have believed that Jesus is the Christ. And then what we will do is we will, uh, we will build ways of living and operating that will circumvent the authority and the power and the deliverance that has come by Jesus the Christ. Listen, this has happened big time in COVID. I'm talking to a lot of families, a lot of individuals that when you are isolated in your home and you have not another filled with the Spirit near you, or if you have another who's filled with the Spirit near you and you you both have kind of forgotten, you often will just begin to function in the lowest common denominator. And you you will forget the truth of the gospel. Which doesn't mean that you're not born again. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in Jesus. But we sometimes like to operate like the world operates, which we're gonna get to here in a minute. So this morning, what we are looking at is three birthmarks, birthmarks, that if you are born of him, you bear these marks. We talked about the last couple of weeks, these are uh, fruits of, uh, of being born of God. So this, this week, we're just going to say birthmarks, that if, if you are born of God by faith in Christ, you will be marked by certain things. There's certain things about you that when, when people look upon you, they'll say, you kind of look like your dad. Right now, when I was younger, I'd be like, I don't look like my dad. I look like me, you know. But then as you grow older, and you begin to see your parents through a new light, you begin to appreciate them a little bit more and kind of see some of the things that they bring to the table, and you go, you know, I'm not so offended that you tell me I look like my pops. He's got a lot of good things to offer, right? Right? And so what we see here, when we bear the marks of our God, we bear the marks of being born of God, this is a beautiful thing. And so what we're going to see here, the three marks, the first one really is, is, is kind of, it's two in one. So there are two marks, but they're kind of inseparable. And, and, and they're this, it's, it's love for siblings is the first mark. Love for siblings, look at verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So, we're supposed to love the children of God. Look at verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and, and again, He just said that. He said those almost exact words. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and not just that we do that, but His commandments are not burdensome. So, the way I'm labeling these two first marks is love of sibling and unburdensome obedience which really all comes together in light living. There's a lightness, right? You think about what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, hey, um, which is really strange. He says, come to me all who are weary. This is uh, starting in verse 28 through verse 30. He says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And then he uses a very wearisome uh, metaphor to talk about how he gives us the rest, which really relates well to our text this morning. So that's Matthew 11. 28 through 30, he says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. And then he says this in verse 29, "Uh, take my yoke upon you for it is light. Okay. So it'd be like saying like, you've been freed from slavery here, take these handcuffs. They're really pleasant. And you're like reading this about Jesus, you go, what do you mean? Your, your yoke, this, this heavy thing that you put on an oxen that you, you walk in that's like plowing? The, so, what, huh? What? What do you mean, Jesus? Well, he means right here, verse 2 and 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And and he's referencing specifically what we just read before, that we would love the children of God. Loving God's children, loving his offspring, there should be a lightness to that when we are born of God. What do we mean by that? Listen, loving our neighbor and loving our brother is not easy work. It's not easy. It's often not fun. How is it that I'm supposed to do something that's not easy, that's often difficult, and you're telling me it's not going to be burdensome? Right? He even says, uh, Paul says in, in his epistles, right? Bear one another's burdens. Well, which is it? Is it, is it burdensome or is it not burdensome? Is it, is it a yoke or is it light? Which, which one? And really, it's both because now that we are born again, we are born anew, we are given a new nature, we operate in a different way, we now have this, this, this way of living, this obligation that doesn't quite feel like obligation. And so back to kind of that intro question of who do you re- resemble of your, of your parents? You know, who, what characteristics do you bear of theirs, right? The, as we look at our siblings in the gospel, it's like our siblings uh, in reality. When I look at my sister, the older I get, right? And this is, if you have, if you have parents who love well, I'll say it this way. What'll happen is as you grow, uh, I remember, uh, I, I'm one of five, I'm the fourth, which I have a fourth, and she's psychotic, so I get my, my psychosis now. Um, she's just all over the place, ah! all the time. So that's me. And, uh, and when, you're, when you're young, you're scrapping and fighting only for yourself. Really, you just see you. So every time I'm getting like the small portion, the answer is always like, why do we have five kids? What is the deal? I would have had more Oreos if you weren't around. Thanks, Heather. Right? But she's getting all the Oreos because she's like, mm, i get to those first. She's faster. She's smarter. You were for a while anyway. Right? And so there's a self focus. But when we grow, what starts to happen is if we're being raised well, our parents are showing us hey, this person that's an annoyance and an obstacle to you is more than annoyance and an obstacle. They're a person. And when you behave in these ways, it affects them in these ways. And then you start to realize oh, this person that I'm connected to, not by choice, but by the will of the Father, is here before me, and they are not an obstacle. They're a gift. Right, there, there comes a point when you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 6, you know, and some of us even later, right, I, I remember not really loving my brother until he went off to tech. I was like, man, he's great. He's great that he lives over there. <laughs> he's easier to appreciate. But there came a day with my brother, we shared a room. So I was three boys. For the entirety of my life, I didn't have my own room until I went to college. Shared with my brothers. Some of you are like, "Oh, I can't even imagine that." I can't imagine not having that. I lived in a room by myself. And I was like, "What is going on here?" But when he left, there was this appreciation because I, I began to see him not as the guy who who ate the spaghetti that I would have had, but I began to see him for the gift and the joy and the beauty and the and the life that he brought to our family and to this world. Right? It was, he, he became a delight. So to love him, to move toward him, to speak kindly and to serve and to do these things, a transition happened from childhood selfishness to mature manhood where I was invited in to see my brother the way that my father saw my brother. Look at the gift that he is. And if we, if we are being loved well, we are able to look through the eyes of our parents and see the weight and the beauty and the significance that our brothers and sisters bring. And so when we're told that we love them as a byproduct of being born of God, we don't do that and go, oh, God, we have to love. Really? 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 We, we began to be those when were, we're given the, the family pack of double stuff Oreos where you don't go, how many of these can I get through before my brothers and sisters get here? Maybe I'm the only uh, sinner among you who does such things or did, does. Um, right? And, and so, so then there becomes this phase again. I'm using silly metaphor, but the, the picture of like at some point you go, huh, can I make sure that these people that I love and care about, that they are blessed as well? And so we this look at, look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I, to be honest, most of my life I wrestle with that. Because I'm viewing the commands of God mostly through this lens of you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And as long as we understand the commands of God from that lens, it will feel burdensome to us. But what God is doing is he's inviting us in rebirth to say, you are now part of a family of these eternally redeemed beings that you are surrounded by and your relationship to them is gift. And so you get to love them. You get to be an avenue of my love. And so when I command you to something, you are being invited into something. This book I'm reading right now, is a great book, highly recommend it. It's called Your God is Too Safe by Mark Buchanan. It has this just a little, little phrase on there that says, obedience isn't for God's sake, it's for our sake. God is inviting us into something. It's not like God is commanding us going like, oh, I hope they get it. I hope they can figure it out because if they don't, my whole plan's gonna come apart. He can use our disobedience as much as he can use our obedience. He's inviting us in obedience to partake of his ways, to partake of his life, to delight in the way that he has wired all of creation. And so the more we walk with him, the more that we delight in him, the more we see his commandments are in fact not burdensome. They are in fact an invitation to living and loving and seeing as he sees. But, but, the, but the longer we see those around us as obstacles to joy, the harder it's going to be for us to walk in a joyful, light obedience. The harder it's going to be for us to walk in light living. The beauty is as we do this, and, and I, and I want to I confess to you in the testimony of my own heart, as I do this more, the more I delight to do the ways of God. Because I see the fruit that it produces the health that's there, and the life that comes. So this first one, this, the first birthmark, which I guess says two in one, is loving our siblings. right? They, we, we see them through the eyes of our parents. We see them through the eyes of God the Father, and we see the wonder and the delight that they are. And so when we, we obey the commands, right, like not coveting, not lusting, right? Why are we not doing those things? Because we are seeing this person as a beautiful, eternal being that we are not going to use for our own gain, but that we would even sacrifice for their gain. Then our living becomes lighter because we are not people who have to scrap and grab anymore for life. We are freely given it in Christ. So our living becomes light, And then we can be people who memorize 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, to be people who would believe those words and live that out. That's what we are invited into. But he keeps going. He gives us more marks of those who walk with God. Look at verse 4. And he he reiterates again, for everyone who has been born of God. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So he starts with Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, and he ends with uh, an emphasis on the sonship. Right, kind of his, his son connection, that he is the son of the father. He is the father sending the son into the world. And so he emphasizes for everyone born of God overcomes the world. So just a little refresher on this whole world picture. We saw this in 1 John chapter two, where he talks about we won't be lovers of the world, right? But there'll be lovers of God. So that if you go back to uh, chapter two, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever." Goes this picture that we aren't to love the world, but we're to love the Father. And, and again, a little refresher when we think about the world, the world is this system that is pulling and working against the believer. We, are, uh, we have enemies in this world, and they are summarized as first, death. First Corinthians 15 talks about, right, the last enemy to be done away with is death. Second is Satan, right, the, the devil the deceiver, the one who wants to pull us away, uh, the flesh, we see this in Romans 8, that the flesh is working against the spirit. So we have these, these, these combination of forces that really when you summarize those or, or you put them together, they become this, this whole system that surrounds us called the world, the kingdom of the world the kingdom of darkness that is pulling at at the life of the believer as we walk in this world because we are people, though we are born of God, we still live in an age where sin is at work. And so we do have enemies. We do have difficulties. We do have adversaries. We do have those who come against us. And let me tell you again, this whole COVID thing. If any of you doubted that, we see the difficulty of the age we live in. Yeah, I hear lots of chatter among believers. Man, COVID, this thing that's a virus that easily spreads when you're close together, causes death. It's this metaphor for the, the forces that we are against, that there are these things that spread. And what the enemy's trying to do is divide us instead of being a people who are still together. And so we have to wrestle and fight and remember verse four, that everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, who is it that overcomes the world? Who can overcome all of those adversaries? Death, we really overcome death? All that's happening in all the world, we can overcome all the pressures of all societies, all cultures, all things. We're able to overcome all of that Satan himself, the pull of the flag, all those things working together. How are we able to overcome that? Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? The- this is one of those audacious claims that the scriptures make that he's he's giving us this, this, this stake in the ground to say we are not people who are victoryless. We are not people who are bound anymore. We go to Romans and we read about we have been resurrected by the resurrection of Christ. We are resurrected and we have now freedom over sin. We have freedom over death. We are now set free from the bondage of this world and we now live as these new born again creatures and we have... a victory that comes by the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, where we no longer are held down and held back, and we don't carry a heavy yoke anymore. We're free people, and we have a freedom that the world knows not of, and we have a freedom that now when we live this freedom, we remind the world of who our Father is and where our freedom comes from. How are you able to fill in the blank? Love like you love. How are you able to walk as you walk? How are you able to live out the commands of God and have them not be burdensome? Well, because victory has come by the life of Jesus. What what does victory look like for you? What's it mean that we are a victory people? that victory has come, that we have overcome the world, that the the pulling of the world, the pressures that you and I feel. You see something on Facebook. You have a reaction to it. How is it that we are to steer our words and our emotions and our minds away from where the world would take us and be people who don't get caught up in what the world is doing, though we are in the midst of what is happening in our world? Hear me. We are not to be a people who are just completely removed from what's happening. You have those who say, we are to be those who simply stand back and proclaim the gospel. Hear me, we are to be that. We are to be a people who proclaim the gospel, but we are people who proclaim the gospel in the midst of. And it's going to be painful at times, and it's going to be unburdensome. I know, that's, how's that work? You've overcome the world. The world does not have power over you anymore. We don't have to hop on cultural bandwagons in order to get our identity and to get our approval. We've gotten that from Christ. We are to be a discerning people who stand in the midst of the world and are actively involved to be agents of justice and gospel and peace and reconciliation. We are to be those people in the midst of, and it will be uncomfortable and unburdensome. There's an irony there. I think often when we live unburdensome living, there's a discomfort to it, meaning it's a little bit awkward because sometimes you find yourself standing in a room and everyone's staring at you going like, hey, bro, what's the deal? Get on the agenda. Say, hey, I I can't actually. Like, I actually can't because my king has another agenda because he laid his life down for that neighbor, for that brother. And so like, yeah, I, I think God would have something else to say. So, so, so hear me, God is at work, and God wants us to be at work. My yoke upon you. So that picture is a picture of animals at work who are doing the thing that they're built to do, and they're not sitting there going, oh, man, this is so heavy. They're doing the thing they're built to do, and they're going like, yeah, that's right. I'm an oxen. I eat grass. I plow fields. I need to stop and rest and, you know, but, but I like doing what I'm built to do. God built you to do stuff. So this unburdensome living is actually a very active life. You're in the middle of a lot of things. So it's not that you are removing yourself so it's easy. No, no, you're actually stepping into things that are kind of more uncomfortable because you are so unburdened with the life of God. And so we become those who not only proclaim the gospel. Of course we are proclaiming the gospel. We're speaking the truth and the reconciliation and the resurrection of Jesus, but we're also those who are in the midst of conversations involving justice. How to care for the poor. How to care for those who who need care. How to reform systems that can be reformed. We are to be a part of those discussions. And God will Use us in the midst, one to reach lost people, but one to make a better society. You have overcome the world. You have victory in Christ. So hear me, we are not hoping that we will do this in such a way that we will fix all the problems. What we are hoping is, is in the victory that comes through Jesus and we can to our own physical and social detriment live unburdensome in the midst of the world, heralding, modeling, living the gospel of Christ and and being agents of this victorious life that comes by the blood of Jesus, by faith in him. To be born of Him. Listen, we will be strange. We are strangers and sojourners in this world. So hear me. One of the biggest pulls in all of my life is I want to be cool. That sounds silly. I feel like I'm you know 12 again. I want to fit in. I want people to like me. I want people to respect me. And and Jesus has a much different agenda. We want people to behold the beauty of Christ. And so there will be conversations, maybe many, where, where, where we don't sound the coolest because we are heralding a gospel that offends the world that says, you need Jesus. And let me show you the kind of person he is because I am born from the same father that he is eternally begotten of. So we are those who believe that Jesus is the son of God and we go as ambassadors of this gospel of the sun, this gospel of resurrection. And it's uncomfortable, and yet it's unburdensome. And when you lay your head on your pillow at night after being mocked and blown up on Instagram because you haven't hopped on the, the latest cultural bandwagon, but have constantly worked for gospel and justice and peace and reconciliation, Right? this is going to become really important as we get into election season. We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. We are followers of Jesus primarily. So we get to be those who walk now in the victory that's to come. And it will be unburdensome, but it's going to be awkward at times and uncomfortable at times because we find our lives from God on high And we believe that Jesus is the Christ and that only, only, only through him. Hear me, if you take this and we go and try and love our siblings and we go and try and do the commands of God and you haven't been born of God, you're going to wear yourself out. When you keep pounding to try and and make it happen apart from the life that comes from God, hear me, only by being born of God again by the blood of jesus are you going to be able to do this right only by his power only by birth from above only seeing with newborn eyes only when we know that our eternity is is hidden away somewhere else only then can we can we walk with him and i can't emphasize that strongly enough because i'm looking at a lot of frustrated hurting people who keep trying to fix themselves and they can tell me the gospel but they've not been born again. John wrote this letter to people who believed a church. Many of them would have said, I know Jesus. I know the gospel. And he's constantly saying, remember, we are born from somewhere else. We are born from above by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Lord, we love, we love to hear new stuff, interesting things. And yet John keeps bringing us back to the, the reality that we are born only through faith in Christ, that when we believe upon Jesus, this victory comes. And Lord, we always want to try and find some other new, uh, new tricky little thing of truth and you just keep bringing us back to the sufficiency of the gospel God help us to wrestle through an unburdened way how to live with you, walk with you be propelled by you, be sustained by you, would you Lord be the one that we draw our life from Lord help us to be advocates and agents for your gospel in the midst of trying times, which has always been the testimony of the people of God. Help us to walk this, to love our siblings, to live out your commands, to experience your victory. God, help us to walk in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.